All right, well, maybe you picked up on this. Maybe you didn't. But this is our last corporate Sunday morning gathering of 2020. Yeah, one happy person. All right. Now, we are, as you heard, we are doing a Christmas Eve service that you don't want to miss. You're going to want to be here. It's going to be epic. All right. It's, it, I promise you there's all the traditional good stuff, the candles, the kids, the candy. It's going to be great. All right. So you're not going to want to miss that. But on December 27th is the infamous Selah Sunday, which is where as a church community, we all stop pause, remember, and dream forward. Amen? And, and so we have got some really cool stuff. I have gotten a, a sneak peek into what the team has put together for that experience for you as you are in your home, and you are not going to want to skip out. So make sure you grab your Selah box if you're here, if you are out and about or watching this at home, which we know most of you are. We have Selah box pickup points, right? Do those already happen? So you missed it. You missed your moment. But you can still tune in, all right? But it'll only be half as good. Sorry about that. All right. Maybe if you come on Christmas Eve, you could get one? Okay, come on Christmas Eve, incentive. All right, now, um, what, what we've been doing over the past few weeks is we've been leaning in along with the global church to what is known as the Advent season. Have you guys enjoyed these past few weeks if we have observed Advent as a church? And, and, and this week, we are kind of finishing off that journey. And we have started almost every single week within this past four weeks reading the very famous Christmas story that is found in Luke chapter 2. But what I want to do today is I want to curveball, and I don't want us to read Luke chapter 2. I want us to read John 3. All right, can we do that? All right, and, and here's why. Because I believe that what we are going to talk about today in this Advent season is the absolute cornerstone foundation piece, meaning if you get this, you get all of it. It's not working? You're chopping it now. Hold on, can I give you this? It's not comfortable, so. Hold on. All right. Handheld. So it's going to get a little preachy today, just so you know. They took this away from me because I was preaching a little bit too much, so they gave me the ear thing. But I'm back. All right, here we go. John chapter 3. The reason we're starting here, is this one chopping out too? No, we're good. The reason that we're starting here is because if we get this, we get it all. And that is the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Today, what we're talking about is that God loved us so much. God loved us so much that he came for us. And, and, and everything that we've hit over the past few weeks the fact that hope is something that we walk in. That, that peace is something that we live in. That, that joy is something that we live from. All of that hinges on us receiving the fact 
that God loves us so much that he sent his son for us. The simplicity and the complexity of love can make this foundational truth of our faith one of the hardest to receive. Uh, Because here on earth, love can feel complicated. I I don't know if you heard me. Uh, Here on earth, love can feel complicated. You see, I, I don't agree with much of what Facebook has done. But one of the things they got right is they added it's complicated to your relational status. Because here on earth, love can feel complicated. And, and, and the reason that is, is because it's the people that, that love us the most that most of the time can hurt us the most. It's the people that, that love us the most that can oftentimes hurt us the most. So, so yes, love can feel complicated, but I, if you're a note taker, I love you. Uh, and if you're not, I have grace for you. Uh, no, I'm, I'm joking. Let me smile at you. That was a joke. Okay. That was a joke. I love everybody just where you are. Okay. You don't have to do a dang thing. You can just sit there. You are loved by me. Now by God. No, I'm joking. That was a joke. That was another joke. That was another joke. But if you are a note taker, I would write this down. It's important that we understand that love is not complicated. Sin is complicated. Can I say that one one more time? It's important that we understand that love is not complicated. Sin is complicated uh, because the love that drove Jesus from heaven to earth was a love that was so simple, so pure, so unchanging that right in the place in our lives where we were the most unlovable, his love for us did not move, but it drew close to us yeah love that moved the heart of God to do the unthinkable is not complicated it's actually so simple that that our minds have a hard time understanding it Ephesians 3 puts it this way and may you have power to understand May you have power to understand as all God's people should how wide How long, how high, how deep his love is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. And then you will be made complete. How many of you were here last week? We learned that when the Bible says that if we do something, we'll receive something, we should take note of what it asks us to do. And, 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 and right here, it, it very clearly says that when we understand the love that God has for us, how wide it is, how high it is, how deep it is, then we will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Without coming to an understanding of the love that God has for us, we will never feel complete regardless of all that God does for us are you hearing me we can be in the middle of a blessing but but if you don't know that he loves you if you don't understand that he so loved you 
If, if you don't grab how wide and how deep and how long his love is for you, you can be in the middle of God doing something for you and feel like you're missing something because, because without coming to an understanding of the love that God has for us, we'll never feel complete regardless of what God does for us because it's his love, it's his love for us that answers the biggest question that is in all of us. And, and, and it, it, it's God's love that tells us who we are. It says this in Ephesians 1 verse 6, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ and according with his pleasure and his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us, the one he loves. You see, Jesus did not come to make us a better version of ourselves. Jesus did not come to make your life easier. Jesus came to save us from the effects of sin on us. And in doing that, we no longer are who we were and we have been transformed into who we now are. And, and, and when we receive Jesus, the brokenness that was separating us from receiving and understanding how great and how big and how wide his love is for us, when we receive him, we become purchased into his family, adopted. You, you now don't just simply belong to your earthly family. You belong to the heavenly family. And this is important. This is important because it's in family where we get language for who we are. It's in our family where we get language for who we are. Let me tell you a little story. My oldest boy, Tate, rewind till he was about five years old. He was playing micro soccer. Okay, now some of you have little children and you get you're getting a visual on what micro soccer looks like. This is this is pre soccer becoming what is known as the beautiful game. Okay, micro soccer is a bar fight with a ball. That's what it is. You've got a bunch of children running around in a mob, chasing a ball, aimlessly kicking hoping to hit the ball, but mostly hitting each other. And from time to time, there will be a stampede and trampling will occur. Your biggest injury is getting run over in micro soccer. Now, Tate, in one of his games, I was the coach. He zigged, the rest of the pack zagged, Tate trampled. He's on the ground crying kicking his legs, waving his arms, right, making such a scene that the official stops the match. I don't even know if they call them matches at that age. Stops the made-up game and, and waves for me to come onto the field. I, I come out there, right, you know, and the, the, he's my boy. And, and so I'm, I'm feeling, you know, you don't want to see your kid hurt. So I'm feeling compassionate, and I'm like, I give him the head to toe, right? And I'm checking, make sure everything's where it's supposed to be, no bones are po poking out. I realize, all right, this dude is good. He's good. 
So I stand him up and I'm like, all right, Tate. Buddy, how you feeling, man? You, you want to take a break? You, you want to get back in there? How you feeling? And he's just crying. You know, he's looking at me, the big crocodile tears coming down his cheeks. He's like, I don't know. I don't know. And then it hit me. I'm like, yo, this is one of those moments. This is it. Now, I jokingly say that my children are going to need therapy because I was their father. It's kind of half joking. They will. We've started two funds in our house. We have a college fund for our children and a counseling fund for our children because we are going to help fix what we broke. But I thought in this moment, I'm going to be like, okay, look, this is a moment where he is not going to need healing for this one. I'm going to get this one right. So I'm like down on my knees, you know, and I'm looking at him and I'm like, okay, Tate, who are you, man? Who are you? Now, I don't know if you do this, but in my brain, I kind of can get ahead of myself. I can get ahead of the moment and I start living a moment that's not real, but I hope it's real. Right. And so in my brain, like, you know, the, there's a soundtrack playing, you, you know, what I'm saying like the lighting has shifted. It's like this is a made for TV moment. Here is the hurt son and the father. This is Hallmark stuff, man. You know, and the dad comes on the field and who are you? And, you know, in my mind, he's supposed to be like, I'm a griffin. I'm a griffin, dad. And I'm going to be like, that's right. You're a griffin and griffins don't quit. And I want you to get back out there. You know what? Because it's not about getting knocked down, son. It's about getting back up. And no matter what you decide to do, I'm with you. I got your back. I love you all the same. But in reality, I look at him and I'm like, Tate, do you hear the music? You know, he's like, no. It's like, who are you, bro? He kind of, you know, a little five-year-old kind of looks at me like puzzled. I'm like, who are you, bro? He's like, and then all of a sudden he kind of snaps up, bows his little mini shoulders back, and he says, I'm the warrior. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Okay. All right. We can work with this. All right. You know, I mean, it's a little, I'm experiencing. I'm like, okay, that's not exactly. But, but then I was like, why in the world did he say that? But then I realized, I was like, you know what I called him all the time back then? The little warrior. And so how many of you know that when you get knocked down, what those around you call you will be what you call yourself? And in that moment, when he felt like he was down and out, what he thought about himself was the label that I put on him as his father. And he said, I'm the warrior. I said, cool, that'll, that'll work. How you feel? You want to play? He's like, yeah. And he runs off. I was like, hey, Tate, can I tell you? I've gotten in trouble because I've told stories about my children without getting permission. And, and so I'm like, I'm going to get permission this time because, again, I'm trying to save a little money on all the therapy they're going to need. And, and, I'm, and he doesn't even barely remember that this happened. This is like a marking moment for me. But, but, but isn't it amazing that it's our families that label us? It, it, yeah, it's the closest people that are around us and what they call us that we will then begin to call ourselves. And this is why love can start to feel a little complicated. Because it's those who love us that have the power to label us. 
And, and all of us have picked up some labels in life. Can we get a collective amen? We've all picked up a few labels throughout life. And, and, and no matter how hard we try, they just seem to be stuck on us. Man, you, you, man, you could try to get rid of it, but it feels like it is, it is, that label is on there with that super adhesive Velcro. And we can't get them out. We, we start talking about our families. You know, Christmas time can, can feel complicated. Because it's, it, it's, it's the holidays. We're supposed to be holly and joyful and oh, silent light. And Jesus came. But then you got to go hang out with your family. And love can be what? Complicated. If you're wondering if love is complicated, just look at your family. Love is complicated and 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 it doesn't matter if you had the greatest parents in the world they weren't perfect and you picked up some labels that are defining you some of you are on the other side and you've lived stories that shouldn't even be watched in movies in every moment of pain and abuse and disappointment and frustration and, 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 and feeling misunderstood, every bad decision that we've all made, right? It's, it's labels. And it's those labels that begin to define us, especially when it feels like the world is against us. You know, you hit a moment in life when you get knocked down and the world's looking at you and asking you, who are you most of the time, if not all of the time, the labels that we have picked up throughout our life, the good, the painful, the people, that, that, that what people thought about us, what our parents called us, and bad decisions that we made, they have marked us, and, and it's those labels that will fuel how we answer that question so you feel like a failure who are you I'm a failure you, you feel like a loser who are you you, you what you want to say is I'm a loser you, you you feel washed up used up and dirty who are you you feel washed up loosed up and dirty that's what you want to say now we've been taught that we shouldn't say that but that's what we want to say because our labels Tell us what we are. But hear me, our family tells us who we are. Ooh. Uh, it, our, 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 our labels will tell us what we are. But our families tell us who we are. Jump with me in your Bible to Luke 15, verse 11. This is another one of those moments when Jesus is breaking down for a group of people what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And, and, and really what we're going to be diving into in this story is Jesus is letting this group of people know who he is and what he is really like. And it says this, this is Jesus's words. He's telling this story in Luke 15, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons and the younger one said father give me my share of the estate and so he divided the property between them now, now what Jesus is saying here is the baby of the family has come to his father and basically told him I wish that you were dead 
I'm tired of waiting for you to die. So I'm just going to live as if you are already dead. Everything that you are going to give me, I've already received. I don't need you anymore. And so can you just go ahead and give me my inheritance so I can move past your influence in my life? Now, it's important that we do not miss in the rebellion of the son the pain of the father. Because as a father, I understand fully that now my children have become my best friends. So as I get older, my need for friends goes down because my kids are now my friends. And so when, when I think about one of my children looking at me and saying, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Actually, I wish that you weren't even here. I wish that you were dead. We have to understand that Jesus is painting a picture of a rejection that is almost too hard to imagine. It's amazing that Jesus then says the father didn't argue, didn't make a fuss, but he just divided up what he had and he gave it to his son now this is one of those windows that we need to grab hold of about the father uh, jesus is telling this story and he's letting us know uh, that it, it, that what you get is nothing without who you get oh in a in in a season of wanting to get more it's in Important not to miss that Jesus makes it clear that the father was not connected to what he had because of the love of the person who he had. So the father in the story had no problem giving away what he had because it wasn't about what he had. It was about who he had. And Jesus goes on to say, verse 13, not long after that, the young son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. Let me bring this into 2020 for you. Let me make this our language. The son goes to Vegas. He blows his money on booze, hookers, and poker. And then he tries to get a job, and it's the worst recession. It's 2008. There is no jobs. It doesn't matter. And he realizes, I've got nothing. Verse 14, it says, so he went and hired himself out. He went and made himself a slave. Think about this. He had everything he wanted, everything he needed. And here he finds himself in such a dire place that he sells himself to somebody in Vegas and says, I'm going to work for you. And it says this, verse 15, so he went out, hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs and he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating but no one gave him anything i don't know how many of you have ever fed pigs but you know what pigs eat what everyone else doesn't want to eat 
And he is looking at rotten, old, disgusting food, and he is longing for it because he's that hungry. How many of you know that when you get hungry, hungry, honestly, here in America, we don't know what hungry, hungry feels like. For us, hungry is, uh, it's time for lunch. Now, I know a few, but I don't know many people that are so hungry when they pass by a dumpster, they're stopping and looking for something to eat. That he had lost everything. The, the son had lost everything. And, and he was longing to eat what would have made him gag just months before. And it says in verse 17, when he came to his senses. When he came to his senses. Oh, oh, the moments in our lives when we come to our senses. Most of you are probably here because you had a verse 17 moment. You came to your senses. Maybe it was last night and you stumbled in here because you said, you know what? I don't have to live this way anymore. I don't have to be starving anymore. I don't have to be addicted anymore. I don't, uh, my life doesn't have to look the same way that it does right now. It says that he came to his senses. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many in my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death. I'm going to set out. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. Do you, do you, do you see this? Because it's your family that will tell you who you are, but it's your labels that will tell you what you are. And so now, all of a sudden, he had forgotten who he was because the labels were defining what he was. And so I'm just going to go to my father and say, I understand what my labels are. I understand them. I, I'm, I don't deserve to be your son. And, and so I, I, I'm not even going to try to be your son. Just hire me because I know that you're better to your employees than anyone I've ever seen. And your employees have so much, they live in so much abundance that they even have extra stuff to eat. And I'd rather work and be a servant here than be away from you. And he, he wrote a speech. This is the son writing. How many of you are, can remember having hard conversations with your parents and on the drive home you write a speech? Oh, I wrote some speeches. You know, you're like, oh, I don't like, nope, we'll have to soften that one a little bit, tweak that, right? And, and, and so this is what he's doing. This is what this son is doing. The same thing that you and I would have done. We found our, we came to our senses. And, and now, now that we've come to our senses, we're coming back, but we don't know what's going to happen when we get back. Because, because when you start defining yourself by what you are, you define God by what you are. And so he knew his father to be a good man, yet he was not expecting goodness when he came home. 
Because when you start living from your label, your label begins to define not just you, but it begins to define your worldview. And therefore, if you feel like a failure, you're all of a sudden not expecting yourself to fail. You're expecting everyone else to fail. And then when someone succeeds, you can't celebrate their success. You just wait for them to fail. Am I talking to anybody? Because our labels don't just define us. Our labels begin to define everything around us. And it says this in our story. But while he was still a long way off, probably running through the final draft of his speech, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. And, and, and he threw his arms around him. Now, if you grew up in church, you probably heard this story. But don't let your familiarity with it blind you from the scandal of it. Because this does not happen. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The, the son did not just run away. No, no, no. He, he said hurtful things. He did stupid, foolish things. And, and yet we, we have a father who is breaking every cultural code known to man. One, you don't run when you're old. That's still a code that we should implement into... Today, you don't do that. You don't hike your skirt up, dad, and run down the road. This is not what you do, but how many of you know that, that your father will stop at nothing? He will stop at nothing. There is no level of shame that he will not endure to close the gap between you and him. And the father runs to him, wraps his arms around him and kisses him. Verse 21, and the son launches into his speech. The son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But I love the dad just interrupts him. He says, but the father said to his servants, quick. Bring the best robe and put it on. Can you imagine? The son's probably like, no, 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 dad, dad, no. Like, no, 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 no. And the father's like, shh. Servants, quick. Bring me the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate <laughs> the tension I feel when I read this story is one of understanding the love that I have as a father and the and the tension that I also feel as a son as a father I understand that there's nothing that my kids can do that is going to stop me from loving them any more or any less it's just so much love they're they're watching at home this morning I love y'all y'all are amazing there's nothing that they can do or not do that is going to stop me from being fired up when I see them I get that as a dad I get it as a son, I feel the complexity and the consequence of what I've done. 
And this is why love is what? Complicated. Because as a son, I feel the complexity and the distance of, of, of what I've done, what it means for me and for those around me. And I understand how hard it is to receive the love of my father when I'm aware of the labels that are on me. And feeling this very tension is why the son had prepared to deliver this speech. Breaking down for his father while he is not even going to try to be a son. Let me just be a slave. But the father acts like he doesn't even hear him. And he says, bring me three things. Two of them make sense to me. The third one was confusing. One, he says, bring me a robe uh, that, that I can cover him. You see, when we come to our senses and, 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 and we run to Jesus, we make our journey to Jesus from no matter where we are, he does not see us through the labels that our past has put on us. But he, he sees us for who he's called us to be. It's interesting to me that of all the things that he, his son probably needed in that moment, like a shower or a sandwich, he says, bring me a, a robe, a ring, and some sandals, right? Isaiah 61 says, for he clothed me with the garments of salvation. He clothed me with the garments of salvation. He covered me with the robe of righteousness. You see, when God walked up on Adam and Eve at the beginning of it all, when they had chosen sin for all of us, thanks Adam, God did not shame them. God covered them. Because God does not expose us, he covers us and he restores us. He says, the father says, bring me a robe and let me, let me cover the tattered clothes that you're wearing with the best robe that I have in my house. And then he says, give me a ring. The ring, the, the robe made sense. The, the garment of salvation, the ring makes sense. The, the ring symbolizes family. You're talking about the ultimate label. The ring had a, a mark of their family on it. So when you walked around wearing that ring, it wasn't just about who you were. It was about who your family is. And he says, I'm going to put a ring on your finger so that everywhere that you go, it is a reminder to you and everybody else that you are mine. I earned that label for you, and it's bigger than the labels than what you've done. Oh, are you hearing me? Uh, the robe made sense. The, the ring made sense. But the sandals, the sandals got me. I was like, why, why did he throw some new sneakers on him? Now, look, I'm a sneaker guy. 
I like shoes. I, I would appreciate it if my dad hooked me up with some new shoes. I, I like that. But, but this seems to not fit into the, the story of, of the garment of praise, the, the symbol of adoption and family that, that we, that we are, that Romans 8, 15, are you hearing what I'm saying? That we've been adopted. The spirit that we receive does not make us a slave, but, it, but, but we receive the spirit of adoption adoption that we cry Abba Father I get it the ring yes it's a seal the ultimate label but the sandals I didn't understand the sandals and then I began to do a little research and I found that when you sold yourself into slavery what's the one thing that they took from you your sandals and they did it so that you would not run away from your master And so the father was not just saying, hey, you're not wearing any sandals. L let me get you some sandals. The father was saying, you're now free. You're now free. You're now free. These sandals represent your freedom. You know what's powerful about this? Is that how many of you know that he had a debt that he owed his father? And his father just equipped him with the ability to leave again. The, the, when, when, when the father put the sandals on his feet it, what it meant to him and what it should mean to us is that yeah 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 I, I once was a slave but now I'm free I, I once was in bondage but, but now I, I, I can walk free it, it, the sandals were a picture that he wasn't in bondage anymore what, what Jesus would ex, was explaining in this story is that he is the most loving, kind, generous, forgiving father that we have ever met. That, that even when we personally wrong him, his banner, his label over us is love. You see... Jesus does not see the labels of who we used to be. He just sees that we have been bought with a price. And we've received the ultimate label, which is his blood that was shed for us on the cross. And when that blood marks you, that's the only mark that matters in you. Yeah, it, 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 our labels can tell us what we are, but how many of you know that we're in a family that tells us who we are? And that we have been adopted into a heavenly family that tells us who we are. And Jesus says that he loves us so much that his blood will cover over a multitude of sin. His blood will cover over a multitude of bad decisions. His blood will cover over a multitude of abusive situations. His blood will cover over a multitude of absent fathers. His blood will cover a multitude of angry mothers. His blood will cover a multitude of wrong labels because God loved you so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Why don't you stand with me? 
Some of you are wondering, well, I thought I came to a Christmas message. What in the world does Luke 15 have to do with Christmas? And let me say this confidently, everything. 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 Because God so loved the world. Am I talking to anybody this morning? God so loved the world. He so loved the world. The whole story started because he loved you so much. He so loved the world that he sent his son. I don't care if you're hearing this for the first time or the thousandth time. Seeing our heavenly father run down the path of our life to tackle us as we are covered in the tattered remnants of our sin and our shame is something that never gets old. That when we think about Jesus, our heavenly father, coming down from heaven and, and laying his life down so that we don't have to live lost, but we can be found. We don't have to live addicted, we can be free. We don't have to live in bondage, we can, we can experience hope. We don't have to live in sadness and depression, we can experience joy. Uh, because God so loved the world. Are you hearing me? He so loved the world that he covered you with a label that said you're free. That you're forgiven. You're washed new. You're so clean. You're white as snow. And if you need a fresh understanding of the love that God has for you, I want you to lift your hands to heaven. I'm believing for an impartation to happen today. That wherever you are, if you're watching online, if you're in this room or any of the other rooms that we have, that if you are hungry, that you will feast on the love that God has for you. So Lord, right now, I pray for every person that has their hand raised, that you would fill them with the love that drove you from heaven down to earth the simplicity the unchanging the power the hope and the clarity of your love that you have for us and God I pray that we would be able to understand fully understand fully grab hold of how deep and how long and how wide and how beautiful the love is that you have for us. And God, every way that the labels that are on us are trying to tell us what we are, God, we're asking that from this day forward, we will dwell on the fact that it's our heavenly family that tells us who we are. And you say that we are loved. You say that we are forgiven. You say that we are made new. And you say that there is nothing that we have done there is no alley that is too long. There is no hole that is too dark that will stop you from chasing us down, wrapping your arms around us, shutting up the speech that we try to tell you and putting a label on us that says, mine, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Everybody said, amen.